The DWA podcast is recorded live to SD card at the old Wrigley building in Santa Cruz, California. Driving while awesome lockdowns radio hour. <laughs> oh God. Yo. Do you guys know what a fluffer is? GTO. Mellow grinds. Oh, I got a PT Cruiser. It's a convertible. It's really cool. Oh, this smells of crayons for you. <laughs> hey, YOLO. You only have one life. Do you have coilovers? No, beat it. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good podcast right there. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, I screwed it up. (laughs) Heelandtoeapparel.com Heel&Toe Apparel is all about making clothes for people who love to drive. They're all about the manual transmission, and we support that. I don't know what else to say about them that we haven't said before. They make the coziest shirts cool sweatshirts the raddest hats they have a really cool new camo trucker hat i love the the new heel and toe badge logo or i guess you call it a shield logo and those shirts look really cool and uh yeah they've been making our rally shirts for the past geez i don't even know now at this point it's like 10 rallies or something and everyone is better than the next i swear it's like everyone is my favorite shirt and this last batch is the same thing we did the sierra rally rewind and they made us some really cool shirts black with gold and uh, i'm in i'm in love with them i think i i took three of them for myself so uh yeah check out heel and toe apparel.com forward slash dwa and use the code dwa at checkout to get 20 percent off your order support those that support us check out heelandtoeapparel.com forward slash dvua check us out and show your support at patreon.com forward slash driving while awesome as well as you know giving us a little support for this uh weekly podcast we provide we also give you some cool benefits like free sticker packs discounts on Things in our store like the license plate stickers, license plate frames, rally hats, a bunch of other stuff. You also get early access to DWA rallies if you're in the area and events like Camping Wall Awesome. Check it out at patreon.com forward slash driving wall awesome. Welcome to Driving Wall Awesome. My name is Warren. I'm Lane. I am Art and we have here joining us today, sorry, one second, uh, Joey Cabrera, Technical Director of Motul. Uh, what's up, Joey? How you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well, man. Doing well. Cool. My voice sounds a little off because uh, I don't know what I'm catching here. I know it's not Corona, guys, so hey. Maybe <laughs> it's another type of Corona, maybe the one I drank, but uh, yeah, you know, there's everything's a, fine, man. Thank you for having, having me on. Yeah, yeah, we're stoked to have you. There's all sorts of stuff going around right now, and we just uh, saw you recently um, at Radwood PNW. Uh, yes. You guys were a couple booths down. Um, how was the event for you guys? Rad show, really good show, good turnout. Even with the rain, nobody's you know didn't, that didn't hamper it. You know, like the car guy, the car guy, he'll, it doesn't matter if it's raining, stones, he'll be, he'll be there. Yeah, That's right. yeah. Cars don't melt, right? We always say that, um, but uh, were you there at the 2019 SoCal event? You guys had a good presence there. 
Yeah, the yeah, we were there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was a good. That was another good show, you know. Mudwood, right? <laughs> and so Mudwood. That was a yeah. We, we were like just cracking up because like we we barely got any rain really. It was like yeah, it was a little muddy in certain areas, but like in in SoCal, you can't mess around with that. Like a drizzle is enough to scare you know uh, uh, the half of the crowd away because they, they're oh just, absolutely that that no that's... that happens here, buddy. Here it starts raining in Los Angeles and people go. Where's an umbrella? What is an umbrella? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Everyone's scrambling to the local Walgreens. They're all sold out. <laughs> they That's right. Man. One. Cool, man. That's well, right. we're stoked to have you. Uh, we're going to go a little bit into you as a car guy, your your car background, mm-hmm. um, your ascension in the automotive industry, and then we'll get go deep dive into the Motul side of things. And then we have okay. some great listener questions. So yeah, just wanted to kind of learn more about you as as a person, as a car guy. Uh, where where are you from originally? So I was born in South Pasadena, actually Glendale, and then we moved to South Pasadena. So yeah, California guy, Los Angeles, you know. So that's uh, I've seen all the cultures you can think of of cars, man. From the days where they used to call the lowriders with the Euro cars, and Euro cars were any Japanese car or any European car. It was just called a Euro show, you know. And you saw a little bit of everything, trucks. And me, of course, I'm a big European guy. I used to say, what are those cars doing in a Euro show? And why do they call the Euros that car? Or what? That's not a European car, you know, but that's just the way it was back then, right? Well, yeah, it was just all foreign, basically. It was all thrown under the same umbrella. <laughs> yeah, same umbrella, man. But it was fun because you saw everything. And that's what Radwich uh, kind of uh, reminds me of. You know, go, you walk in there, you go, wow. I remember that. I got dropped off to school with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so you grew up in Pasadena, so... Mm-hmm. Were you into like hot rods and stuff or what was your like first car well, that you ever had? And I'm not embarrassed to say it, man. My father was a, he loved building hard rods, you know, he liked building cars and stuff and motorcycles too. So I was always around motorcycles and, and uh, um, cars that I thought they're too old, you know, but uh, still because I hung out with my father, he exposed me to a lot of the car scene, you know, or car swap meets like the famous uh, <clears throat> Pomona swap meet, right? That it, I mean, it was just even bigger and better back then. It's diminished a little bit, but I mean, again, there were so many things there that were so cool at that time. So my, one of my first cars, because my dad had a, <clears throat> a tow truck business, you know, I remember some guy owed him oh. some money. He says, hey, Phil, can I pay you with this? And he gave him a Pinto, a yellow Pinto, you know? And my dad says, hey, what do you think? Nice. <laughs> I got it. It's a Pinto. It, it's like I could get killed in this thing and they hit me from behind. <laughs> you know but that was my first yellow pinto but there was a guy at another school had a white pinto lowered and that's the first time those pintos first came out with the little blade bumper they didn't have that big uh no it was made domestically right didn't have that big giant bumper that came out later so i dropped it with suspension technique springs guys i don't know you guys remember yeah volkswagen we know those yeah that's right that was a big volkswagen yeah Yeah, so i lowered it made it look cool and drove it around man and it it actually looked cool i kind of made it look like the other guy's car we but at that time we didn't have the biggest selection of wheels either i bought my first set of four mag wheels with tires 60s at a swami so and they were brand new and they were called us mags i don't know if you guys remember oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still around, I think. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they look kind of cool, man. But, you know, and I bought a nice European exhaust for a domestic car that we made fit and look cool. And my first PL light. So, yeah, I mean, that was my first car. Oh, wow. Dang. Yeah. Those are actually pretty capable autocrossers when they're set up. Yes, I mean, they rear, are. rear drive and uh, they're, yeah, I've never driven one, but yeah. I'll take your word it, for it. <laughs> is the chassis kind of like a Mustang, too? Or, or is that? You know, I, I always thought it was. 
you know, I never really got into that part of it, but yeah, the little Mustang too. I always kind of thought it was, but I, from what they've told me, no. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I remember oh. we we uh you know a friend of ours was like considering building one as like a rally car or something, and like he's like yeah it's basically a Lotus Cortina or something, <laughs> and we're like uh, and I remember uh, a friend of ours who owns one of these cars, he owns an Escort Mexico. He's like he's like absolutely not, dude. It's like <laughs> it's like total garbage. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously funky, cool, and um they can look rad. Yeah, there was one. I mean, what was it like six or five six years ago? There was one on, on Bring a Trailer that was had like a uh, houndstooth interior and like it was a manual obviously yeah. uh babe like yeah. a yeah. like a pale blue metallic super cool looking car and i mean you know yeah you drop that on some like steelies with like you know fat rubber and i mean that that i can see how that would be a cool look and maybe you can make them drive well i mean warren's saying you can you can do stuff i mean it's just a library axle pretty basic setup front engine rear wheel drive right yeah yeah, absolutely. Very simple car. And like I said, again, it, for me, it looked clean. It was neat. It had a carburetor issue. The car was clean. It was in a garage. I mean, nothing was wrong with the interior. So, hey, mm. it made it that easier. My dad goes, that's a carburetor issue here. That's when you used to go to the local auto parts, give me a carburetor kit. You know, my dad's in the garage. Boom, boom. There it is. Nice. Same yep. thing with the Volkswagens, because that's how I got into the European cars, because of Volkswagens. My dad says, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> So, that's cool so that leads us i guess usually we ask this so that was like your first car what was your like first car that you saved up for or bought on your own that you were super into a 914 that oh I, nice oh cool yeah i was sitting in the front of a of a house there in the driveway with no wheels up on jacks and this guy was super clean with his house this guy had an immaculate house but he had this car there sitting with the car cover. And one time the car cover blew and I just happened to be passing by. I picked up his car cover and I went and knocked at the door. I go, here's your car cover. Hey, what are you going to do with this car? Nice. Goes, eh. That's my style. Yeah, I'll work on it. <laughs> who, would, no, who would think that, that that car today, either, of course, the six are worth more, but no matter what, the cost of buying a 914 today it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That was my third car was a 914 uh, and it was like a, a nice running driving car for a thousand bucks. Yeah. 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 Who would have thought yeah. we used to call it the poor man's Porsche at, at school. I remember, yep. but what? still nobody cared because yeah. they had the, what the Fiat X19. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. got a brand new one and he used to rev it and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> I mean, you know, those were kind of what introduced me into the, I had the square back. My brother had the notch back. I had a beetle and then we had a fast back. And one time we had them all together, you know, and I have a, a, a collection of those. And there's one run by my television in the TV room, these very expensive models that I bought in Germany. And it's, again, the square back, the notch back, the fast back and the Volkswagen. Sweet. That's cool. So that, and, that was sort of like your like after the 914, you started getting into the VWs. Yeah. Yeah, because there was something like I always told my mom, you know, I don't know, mom, I think uh, I should have been born, born in Europe because <laughs> I like everything that's European, you know? Yeah. But yeah. The, the 914, do you remember what, what what were the specs on that? Was that a two liter or one seven? What, what, what model? No, it was, was a two liter. Oh, two we liter. had oh, a nice. six. Oh. Yeah, we had a six, which we should have never got rid of. And uh, it was me and my friend had it. We bought it, but it was all primered and it needed some work on it. But, you know, we got to a point where we worked on it. But the thing we did is that we drove it to the Pomona swap meet. There's some guy that said, hey, man, I want to make it a race car. And they gave us 
I think at that time they gave us close to six thousand dollars and change. <laughs> when was uh-huh. this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. We sold it. We're like six thousand dollars, man. This is off the hook. How could this happen? Wow, we made money. We're rich. Yeah, right. Yeah. But you know, again, we go back, right? We see these cars now. We're like going, "Oh, kick me, dude! Just kick me! Look what that uh, thing is worth!" You know, nine elevens and so on. So yeah. I mean, I've had a few. I still have a 1990 Corrado sitting in the, in my in my house uh, that I I had purchased two of them before, and I got them all going and redid them. They didn't mu- they didn't need much work, and I sold them to some guy in England, so he has them now. I sold them way back. It was a G60 and a and a VR6, and now I got a VR6, a 1991, I believe. What color? It's it's a it's a red. It got repainted, but it's a red color, like an orange red. Okay. And it has a carbon fiber hood that it came with, but they gave me the original hood. So I'm going to try to put it all together. And my, one of my goals is to take it to, um, there's an Island, uh, I think it's Mallorca. Mm-hmm. And I want to take it there once I get it all done up and, uh, do the rally with it, but they, it's not a hardcore rally. It's more of a fun rally. Cause you see everything, right. Collector rally cars, uh, older Jaguars, you see a little bit of everything and everything is on tarmac. Hmm. But it's just to say I did it, you know, yeah. and uh, with, with my son. And so just to say, hey, man, I drove this thing there with my son. And that's the, one of my yeah. things to do. What is the appeal of that specific one? Is there like some kind of history behind that? Like why that rally? Uh, you know why? Because I think when I, I, I watched it, because I have the motorsports uh, channel mm-hmm. and they show a lot of this classic. Well, this particular one popped out only because I saw so many more families involved, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, okay, I bought the best and I want to kick your butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, they take it overly too serious right now. Hey, I love rally. Don't get me wrong, but there's a, there, 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 there's a sanctioning body that takes care of that and has professional drivers and it has rules and everything. This one has certain rules, but it's more of a fun day, something that you did with your family or some with your best friend or whatever, you know, your wife. Mm-hmm. You see all that when they get stopped for checkpoints, that's what they talk about. They talk to the wife or they'll talk to the son or the son's driving. This is my father. So it's just fun. And I think because of that, uh, the type of group of people you see, they're like you guys, you know, all friends, all kicking back. We talk car stuff. This is fun. And that's what I that's why I like it, because it's not over competitive. It's not like you're there to win. You're there yeah. to have a good time. Yeah. And it's also in a beautiful island in the Mediterranean. So that helps. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. So um, so you mentioned the Corrado. Any other Radwood era cars that you've owned or that you currently own? Sheesh. Well, I've got my uh, my uh, 951. I'm just trying to remember the year because I bought that from a guy whose name is Alex Wolf that actually came to work for Mo2, but now he works for Itamitsu. We became real good friends before that. And he's in the technical side. And he closed the shop up. He had to just close the shop up for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. And he had his 951 that every time I used to go to Miami and we would go visit him and have dinner, I saw this car and I said, God, what are you going to do with this car? He goes, you know, Joey, I don't know. He did gut it out, but he put the roll cage in it. He has the racing seats on it. He's done some modification. He has the Motec system in it. And he Ooh, had the Motec. You know, three... That's yeah. Fast and the Furious talk right there. <laughs> but you know what? It's set up really well. But thing is, it still has to get tuned. So, anyways, long story short, he needed to sell the car. Believe it or not, I got it for like, I think it was ten grand, a little under ten grand. I got the car. But again, I paid another almost fifteen hundred dollars to get it shipped or brought to me on a carrier. And it's funny because a carrier couldn't make it up my neighborhood because I live up on the on the uh, on the mountain ridge, and so to get up. Anything that's too tall, it'll hit the main gate 
that says welcome you know oh, to gary Oates. Mm -hmm. yeah. so the guy goes what are we gonna do man i can't get up there and this looks like a canyon over here i go no let's just drop it off here and it wouldn't start and so i called my buddy alex like he doesn't want to start and somehow we finally got it started made it up the hill and i started periodically just to get it going but that's one of my projects the car is clean the car is super clean i just you know it's going to need some tuning and some stuff that I can do where I can make it look like a roadster more than just because everything's taken out of it, you know, mm. but it's done in a very good taste. He did a very good job with it. Nice. Cool. You know, so yeah, yeah. those are so, you know, those are far, but like I said, I, I, we get into it, we'll go too far, but yeah, that's some of the cars I've had more, but I've had fun. I've had fun. And I, yeah, I always look at those European cars or just something about European cars. You know, just something, if it's an old Fiat or old Volkswagen or, you know, like I said, an old Cortina, those are awesome. You know, cool. when you see nice. one, it, it's cool. Yeah. But let sure. me stop. Let me, let me hear you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, well, I'm curious. Yeah, I want to, I want to know just sort of how all of that passion ties into um, getting into a career in the automotive space. Right. I mean, I know you've had past lives dealing with suspension stuff and, and all that. You mentioned mm -hmm. suspension techniques, which is now ST, right? Owned by KW. I don't know if you worked for them, but <clears throat> I remember, yeah. I think, you know, I think Yuji might've mentioned that you worked for uh, Lane's favorite brand back in the day, Tokiko, huh, Lane? Uh, oh, Tokiko. Yeah, yeah. I'm was, curious to see how that sort of that passion kind of became a career for you. Well, yeah, the, uh, when I so it all started, like I said, I, I didn't want to be a mechanic, but I just wanted to know enough to work on my car, right? Yeah. But you when you when you work on a car, you got to get dirty. You got to get under the car. You got to take things apart, and you know sometimes you break them, and then you say, "What did I do?" And then you fix them. You go, "Okay, now I won't do that again." And but then you see that, okay, that's a lot of work, or this and that. It's fun to do it for me. It's a hobby, let's say. But uh, so I started working in auto parts stores, and my dad says, "If I catch you working in auto parts stores during your school week, that's it, but you're not gonna work. Got to finish your school." I said, all right, all right. So there was a Martins Auto Parts. There was a Progresso Auto Parts that I started working on. And, you know, parts were just fun because you spoke to the guys that were, at that time, a different type of technician. I wouldn't even call them mechanics because they knew the stuff. I mean, my dad used to get my Webers and he can tune them just by hearing. I couldn't do that. There's no mm -hmm. way. So what I'm saying is working at an auto parts store, meeting all sorts of people in the industry, then I moved on to a bigger auto parts store. Then, you know, I worked at a warehouse as an outside sales guy. You know, I bought, of course, suspension techniques was the first line. I bought Bill Stein, all this great stuff that I was around. You know, I could sell one day. My boss says, Hey, could you bring in a, a good shock absorber to complement the spring, uh, the springs that we're selling, which were STs. I go, well, yeah, no, no problem. I said, okay, I know a guy at Takiko. Let me call him, which is now my, one of my mentors. His name is Kirk Rooney. And uh, that's how it all started. I went to work for a manufacturer at a very young age. And when you're working for a manufacturer, you're like, oh, it's a totally different story. You know, you, you get to do project vehicles. You get to know about shock absorbers. You work with shock dynos. You start doing projects. You, we work closely with Nissan, with Toyota, with Ford, because we did a lot of stuff uh, for the domestic market, too. We had a, a Takiko had a plant just for the domestic market for the OEMs in Kentucky. So it opened a lot of doors and I made friends and got project vehicles that were a lot easier to get now, a lot easier to get then than now. So again, it opened a lot of different doors to rally because some guy said, hey, that shock absorber, that uh, five-way adjustable alumina, man, it's pretty strong. I just did this and this and welded some brackets, but man, I went rally with them and they work awesome. That's how I got into rally, you know? Oh, okay. And so, 
you know, it just opened a lot of doors, you know, that's how it all started for me as far as getting really into it. I owned a shop for two years called three, actually five years, not two years called Kevin's racing and named after my son. And I had a very particular type of clientele, which in PV, they all, they all had, they all had um, expensive cars down over here by Torrance, the Honda civics, right? The Nissan's. 300 ZX, which is one of my favorite cars, right? You just had all that crowd. So I did a car show in my, my parking lot in the back. But the, the owner let me do one and stuff, and it was a real nice place. And I couldn't believe that on this side, there were Ferraris. I think at that time, it was only like a Contouch, but we had actually an F40 there. And we had a lot of 308s, 328s, and other European cars. Those guys were talking to the young guys, and the young guys were talking to the older guys and going, this is pretty cool, you know? What? How much horsepower are you getting out of that Honda? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know if you guys know who Subi Sports is. Mm-hmm. Chad DeMarco, he came with a real awesome Subaru because I used to sell Cobra seats there. So what I'm trying to say is that all that stuff, I was already passionate. You know, there's a story where people said, how in the hell did you get into the X Games? I go, what do you mean? And that's like $20,000 for a 10 by 10 to display. Mm. Oh no, I'm not displaying. I'm at the, I'm in the, in the parking lot with all the teams. Well, how the heck did that happen? Well, Chris Yonder, the guy that runs, um, uh, Vermont sports cars, you know, their, their team manager, they needed oil. They were running short on something. So I had this big red sprinter van. I made it through security. No problem. They didn't ask. They just saw this. What are you doing? Oh, I'm bringing oil to the teams. Oh, okay. Go right in. Then Chris Yonder says, Hey man, um, why don't you just kick back for a little while here and put your van there and Okay, cool. Before you knew it, I had a lot of teams that, you know, were running out of stuff. Hey, Joey, you think you can sell me? I go, no, no, I'm going to sell it to you, man. I'll give it to you. You're a competitor. Here, just put this little sticker in the car. You know, could you do that for me? Yeah, no, no. Do you need some oil? Do you need this? Before I know it, I did 5X games. This red van used to be there all the time. The TVs were picking it up. You know, when the little, I call it the little bird flying by on the wire. Yeah. And one day the guy from, uh, the guy comes to me and says, hey, you're Joey, right? He goes, yeah, that van is getting a lot of exposure. You know, I go, well, you guys, you know, and may, you may have to take it to the parking lot outside. I go, well, okay, let me just tell you how it works. It's fine. I'll do it. I'm not going to cause any trouble. But see all these teams? See all that product? Oh, okay. I go, so if some team, you know, and, you know, something happens, I may not be able to help them. I don't know how I got through that, but the guy goes, okay, you know what? I go, but, you know, dude. Thanks for being so nice to me and understanding. Here's a shirt and here's a jacket. You know, go, oh, dude, you don't have to do that. This is an off-the-hook jacket. Thank you. And that's how <laughs> I did the X Games. I could say almost for free. But I got all this publicity. I got to meet, you know, Travis Pastrana, Brock. I got to meet all these uh, drivers that were uh, coming up in rally. And it was just fun, you know. And that's how I met Con McRae. Oh, you know? cool. Oh, rad. Oh, yeah, because so like, was, that was, like, he was, what, like, in the early Global Rally Cross, would he participated in one or two events? Yeah, I think it was it was two that he participated because we got product for his car. That, oh, okay. Of course, Vermont Sports Car would prepare. He would just fly in, and he would he would do the uh, the event. But it was cool to meet a, such an iconic rally driver that, you know, a few weeks later after that X Games, you know, he passed away in an accident. And I was, I was really – I. I'm a very emotional guy and it just tears came down my eyes. I go, I can't believe this, you know, how could this happen? You know? Yeah. And that's crazy. Yeah. Especially him. He was like, 
kind of known to be almost he was almost like supposed to be invincible right he's kind of one of these characters who just always went full tilt and just walked away from his car right <laughs> every time that something Absolutely. gnarly happened what wasn't i can't mm-hmm. remember one of those races didn't he like have a crazy rollover and then like again and then he he kept going and he like he actually yeah. i didn't he podium or something i can't remember but like he yeah. i mean almost completely no, destroyed right. the car and somehow managed to keep it going yeah, and he actually could have won that race. I don't know what year it was, but I was there. But, uh, yeah, I remember that. The car, he rolled it over, and then the car got back, and he took off, you know, and he, and he did well. He was that guy. You're right. He was that kind of guy that just didn't give up. Yeah, I remember that there was – shit, I, I think it might have been in, like, that doc- – there's a documentary that came out a few years ago, and um, they were they focused on that specific event and that incident in particular, rather, because um, – like it was they were talking about how how calm he was and like you look at the in-car camera and it's just like he's all he's focused on is like he's not concerned about the damage or anything he's just like getting the car into neutral while it's rolling and then getting it back into first as it's starting to get back on four wheels and then taking yeah. off again so he's like timing it so that he gets back on as soon as he's back on the wheels he's he's off you know and like normally at some at that point most people would be like oh fuck it it's over I'm, I'm ready to take my belt off but he was like no this is this is still happening you know <laughs> Uh, which is pretty no, rare. that was him. That was yeah. that guy. That was how competitive he was. And I guess you saw it in his professional racing too. If you have, I have a lot of the old videos and stuff uh, that I get from Duke. I'm sure you guys heard of Duke. They've got many, many motorsports videos. And so I've always been a good collector of that and stuff. But yeah, you could see a lot of that where he was just that kind of driver, man. Yeah. Who are kind of some of your people you followed through racing? Like who are your kind of idols or iconic? But some drivers? of my, of course, uh, I have a huge mentor. Um, which is Art and Senna, you know, and yeah, I know, you know, I talked to some people who are not big Art and Senna fans, like some are not Hamilton fans or whatever, but I think I went beyond that. I think I saw the human part of him too, not just the, you know, the race driver. And of course the ability to race in certain circumstances, you know, when he had issues and get a car like that and Hey, he didn't give up. He didn't give up. If he was hurting in the car or his hand was, all blistering like in one of the races that that happened to him his shoulder was giving out and he had this bad nerve and just the things that he would do like i go my god and you know it's Mm -hmm. funny because you know you see that car now that other drivers like hamilton drives and he even says you know wow i wish it could be like this again i mean it was totally different there was not a guy really speaking into your earpiece and saying hey we're adjusting this and we're adjusting that they had you know, technology was there, but it, not in the way it is now. All of it had to be you. You're, you know, you're the person. You're the computer. You're the guy that adjusts things on the cockpit. You're the one that's doing all that. So to me, I think his, uh, the human being that he was and the driver that he was, those are some of my, you know, at least one of the guys that I have always, you know, when he died, again, my son was only, he was, my son was uh, born April the 24th. I had him at the house the 25th holding him. And we were watching May the 1st, the accident that happened. Mm-hmm. I went to work because I didn't know what happened. They had stopped the race. And when I gave, I came back, I remember my, my uh, brother-in-law says, hey, man, Artin Senna died. And I just went to my bedroom, seriously. I, hold my, I held my son and I went. I said, that's how much it meant to me, right? Mm-hmm. It's sometimes yeah. you just have that. And I'm sure you guys have that mentor too in your life that, you know, something, you know, if he's gone or something, you took it, you know, you took it hard, but, you know. He did what he was doing with that he loved and uh it was it was just sad yeah so yeah that's one of my my top mentors as far as a race driver who i follow now well there's there's so many you know there's so many sure. out there now but there's plenty of good drivers out there you know that uh 
it's awesome, you know. And I guess because we love racing so much, I know you guys do too, that I think that the only sad part that I see a little bit because I, I used to do the Long Beach Grand Prix so many years after years after years after years. We had a booth there with Takiko. We had a booth there with Motu. You get to meet the drivers. You're now in the pits with them. You're with the teams. A lot of that reality of your dreams finally come true. You know what I'm saying? It finally happens. You're rubbing shoulders with the driver you saw on TV. You get to that point where you're saying, oh, damn, I'm here. Yeah, right. It's a, it's kind of like, um, does it ever take away that the luster, though, you see behind the curtain and now it's sort of just your job or... Are you still in a place where you're excited to do it? Well, you know what? That's a very good question. I'm the probably the uh, me and Dave Waldman, the guy that's actually was responsible for Motu here in the United States, still works for Motu as uh, he takes care of all the South American stuff like that in the power sports side. But what I'm trying to say with that, we're the oldest guys there. He's a he's been there a lot longer, of course, but I've been there for 16 and a half years. And it's funny uh-huh. you say that because that show that we did at Redwood. That was like a last minute thing. You know, he says, Joey, could you come with me? I want to, yeah, that's the kind of guy I am. I still have that passion. I think if I didn't have that passion, believe me, there's a lot of things that I still like to do around the house and my projects. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, I've been very fortunate. I have a wife that's a very smart uh, woman that has a very good position. And uh, she's told me many times, you know, why don't you retire, you know, be the spectator now, you know, but (laughs) she says, but I know what you mean, you know? So yes, to answer that question, the passion is the one that keeps me going. I love it. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. I think that's hard for most people to do. Actually, a lot of people, you kind of get to the position where you are you and you're rubbing shoulders with these people and, Mm -hmm. and talking to them and all that. And you kind of don't, it's just your everyday life, you know, and you don't really reflect on that or appreciate the, you don't appreciate it from like the 16 year old you, or, uh, you know, you just kind of like, this is now. And, 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 uh, it seems like you really, you know, appreciate it and look at everything with like a positive attitude. Yeah. That's and great. I, that's why I like your show because like Nolan, Eric, you guys know who Nolan is, of course, mm-hmm. Eric, I see that generation coming up and I tell you, even though I'm older than Nolan, I look at him now, even as a, a, a young mentor in my life, because you could have young mentors, you know, that do things. And I see how he's so passionate. He saw this and I go, that was me. <laughs> And it still is. So he's doing a very good job to bring Motu to where it is now, too, in his marketing, meeting people like you, connecting with people like you guys. You know, somebody's got to keep keep it going, right? Eric does a good job on that, too, you know? So, and 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 uh, Darwin, too, that takes care of the power sport. The young guys that are just passionate. Because remember, this thing, guys, I've seen it. I've pretty seen a lot of stuff from Takiko being there 16 years and 16 and a half years with Motu. I've seen it in the industry. There's people that just say, I like, you know, I like it. Oh, I like that car. Is it? But that's it. You know, I like it. You got guys that love it, that are in it. They're, you know, they're in, they're in that mud, you know, they got into it. They got their hands dirty. And those are those guys like you guys, the guys that were at Radwood, the ones that you talked to. And I took my car apart and I did this and I don't know where I was going to get this part, but I found it or what, you know, you just have so many conversations with these types of individuals that you say, Oh, thank God. Because when I was at the historics, there was a guy that I always go see. Um, it's funny because his name is Smith. Last name is Smith. I call him Mr. Smith all the time. And he's there with his 356 Porsche. And this is what he told me. He says, yeah, Joey, 
yeah, somebody's got to pick this up, man. We're dying off, you know. All <laughs> yeah. this generation, you know, loves this stuff, and they could keep it going, man. And and this and that. I go, goddamn, he's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's something that. Um, yeah, you start. I was. I always think about this, like especially living where, where like in Silicon Valley, like you know, because there's so much focus on technology and in in this industry, right, and in the the software world and even hardware, whatever it may be, but all all tech. Whether or not mm-hmm. it's related to automotive, of course, there's some of that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just like I always think about, like, okay, well, at some point there was a, a tremendous amount of of, um, of support for like tradespeople, right? And it's like if you wanted to be a welder or uh, whatever, uh, you know, a machinist or you know things of that nature, like that was something that was really va- like valued, and you know, there was something that you could go out and train for and get a very very good salary and buy a house and do all that, and it's like. And now, right. like, you know, or, or, or even just, a, uh, you know, there are some mechanic positions that could get you there as well now, right? Like, I, we have some friends in the industry who have done pretty well for themselves, like the guys at BBI or motion engineering. And, like, oh, it's, yeah. it's rad to see that. Like, these guys are there. It's the next kind of version of that where they're, like, they're innovators in their space, but they're also very hands-on and they're mechanically savvy. Um, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's... It, I don't want to call it a dying art. I think there are some people that are sort of like uh, carrying the torch and moving it forward, but it's, it's definitely something that needs a lot, a bigger boost, right. And more focus. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm like you, I like to, I like to tinker. I like to mess around. It's not something that I want to do for a, for a, for a career, but, um, but I, I don't see why it shouldn't be valued. Right. And, and, and it's, it's something that is important and I, I think it should be, something that we should put more emphasis on whether uh, early on at schools and things like that. Like my high school had a, a, a auto shop class. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's still a thing in most schools, right? Like in high school. Ours didn't. didn't? Mine didn't. Mine, mine did too. And yeah. I think it is my neighbor's kid is in it. Oh really? Uh, at, but I think it's down to one school. Like if you want to do it, you have to like travel. Mm. You have to go to, to the school Warren went to in Santa Cruz or whatever. Uh, yeah. To go to that program. You guys hit it right on the spot talking really quick on that subject. So I do training seminars for schools that have shops left. And there's one here in Laverne. Um, and then I do, of course, the uh, universities that have their um, their um, own teams that race these little, um, oh God, I forgot the name of the. Those little engineering. Yeah, engineering. Oh, like the yeah, Formula the- SAE cars? Yeah, there you go. Formula oh. SAE. I have to go one Monday here in Riverside. I'm walking around Long Beach. I see they have their little display. I go talk to them. He goes, man, you're the first guy that actually talks to us about oil and this and that. Really? I go, well, who do you get sponsored by? Goes, well, we don't really have an oil sponsor, but we used to have Lucas. You know, they were great, but they just gave us the stuff and sent us a couple of shirts, shake our hand. And they go, no, I do it a lot different. Before the pandemic, we had like 12 schools, you know, universities, I should say, or, or, or um, uh, colleges like Pasadena you know, and stuff like that. Of course, they don't have one, but uh, Royal Hondo has one. There's a few out there that I'm going to go back to. But touching on that is, again, yes, you don't see these schools no more that have these shops. That's all gone away, man. So this young kid, the only way he could get exposed to it is that he's either the father's an enthusiast or brother's an enthusiast, or he just flat out likes it. But the other ones that don't are not aware of it, man, they're just... They just, you know, they don't know. They're not aware of maybe the buddy down the street has a cool car. He wants to get into it. Maybe he'll hang out with him. But you see less of that. When I went to high school, a junior high, we had one. In high school, we had one. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is 
yeah, the dying breed, or maybe it's, you know, just the way these school systems are, you know, it's more about pushing the student out. I'm not going to get political with it. No, but I'm just saying, I see it. So what's happening? So the one in Laverne is still here. And I know the one in Long Beach, the one they had in Long Beach is high school they had there. I went there several years to do a few and the shop was awesome. I go, look at this shop. It's got everything. But I don't even think three quarters of the stuff was being used. Mm. So they just finally said a few weeks ago that it was going away. Sad. Yeah, yeah it is. And yeah. I mean, you see it too in, in the way that cars are built and consumed yeah. that they're not, you know, we don't work on our cars to keep them going. The yeah. daily, daily driver stuff, I mean, but yeah. I still think that the tinker, uh, that side of things needs to be, yeah, encouraged and, and taught. So uh, good on you yeah. for yeah. no that's awesome and i think it really ties into what you mentioned about the 356 though it's like you know at some point like who's gonna be fixing you know i've already heard about this like 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 for example the ford the four cam carrera engines right in those in those cars which was go. also in the in the 550 spider like there's mm-hmm. like two shops in the country that work on them now or something right and it's like and at some point like you don't, you don't have anyone you know there isn't anyone that's that that has the know-how and the skill to to work on these things and um you know some some companies out there and some organizations are you know are are, are doing really well because they're the only name in game in town like you know, Canepa, they, they they basically made themselves the specialist for everything that is rare, unique, and old, and, 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 and custom, and all that, right? Because there's a demand for that, and there aren't enough people doing it. So, uh, but yeah, it's Well, you know, this is why I take my hat off to you guys, because when I went to Radwood for the first time, I've heard of it, you know, but me busy traveling here and there. When I went the first time with Nolan and the guys, when we drove up there, I just like, Holy damn, this is this is the way it should be. This is the way it should be. The idea is awesome to walk in and see a G a G20 van Chevrolet, you know, like the way you used to buy them at the dealer all fixed up, to go see a station wagon Chevy and Paula station wagon. Like, dude, man, there was a few of those in my neighborhood. And I remember the first guy that put mag wheels on one of those things. You're just like, wow. And then of course you see a 308 or something newer or whatever, but you see it. Oh, and you could explain that to a kid when you're walking with him because he's looking at that nice, shiny, you know, brand new sports car. And you say, well, and he say, hey, dad, what's this thing? What I'm trying to say is that you have all the history there, man. And that's what I think was missing. I, I don't knock any car show. I love them. Believe me, I'm going to do the Japanese classic car show in Anaheim here soon that I've been doing for years. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say with that, guys you guys done a good job there because that's, I think, what we need. It's not very specific. No, you got to be this marquee and that's it. Or you got to be this marquee. You guys opened it up to a whole different way. And that's why I think when you guys do things like that, it brings something to that one person who goes, hey, I know where one of those is. Maybe I could look at the way that one looks. Maybe I should totally. go spend $5,000 on that one, buy yeah. it and bring it up to par. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We see that a lot. Yeah, we get yeah. yeah. We get people that are uh, sometimes complaining that we're making cars more expensive to buy, but at the same time, we're giving those people a reason to keep the cars alive, which is probably more important. You know, it's it it, it gives a reason to cherish the car. Rather I am than just with you. You know, away. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but just on that point, when they say uh, electric cars, combustion engines are going to go out, well, yeah, innovation, innovation. I understand it. But I mean, there, there's a fight there, right? We can't let it just die because they're okay. Well, let's just accept it. You know, from this point on, let's not talk about combustion engines no more. Let's talk electronics here all day. 
No, it doesn't work that yeah. way. Yeah. I may not right. see it. You know, I may be way gone. My even my Jonas Jurgens to the point where there will be a combustion engine would be like, what the heck is that? Oh, for sure. How much was it's going to be the VCR? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What the? I mean, I would say like. You know, we have lost auto shops, and wow. I think our our friend Rick Radcliffe, he he was like ran an auto shop in uh, uh, Redlands, I think, in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he still does. I think it might have shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we we losing a lot of that, and there's like a lot of nostalgia for me. I worked in an auto parts store in high school, and I remember like the guy who was like he didn't even own the shop, but he had been there for this guy Buck had been there for like 35, 40 years or something. Oh yeah, and he would like. He was, it was a primarily air cooled Volkswagens is what we catered to. And someone would walk in, he's like, Oh, 1958. Uh, and he'd be like, Lane, uh, get the boss just distribute, you know, da, da, da. Yeah. get the belt number eight, eight, five, Oh one. And I'm like, Oh my God. But, and like, part of me is like, that guy doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's all like, it's just, it, you- it just doesn't exist. Right. And it kind of sucks. But, and then you know, that's like the old man of me, but then you see YouTube's pretty rad, all this stuff. Like every kid has access to like, learn how to work on any car. Any person does now. And it's pretty amazing. Like we didn't have that, you know, we had to buy a Chilton manual and hope that they did it right. Or, you know, and there was like one way to do it. Now there's like 50 ways to do it. And it's like, and there's thing. it's always evolving. And, uh, so I think we're at a good place. It's just a matter. No, of, I think just, you're absolutely. It's changed, right? You know, you're absolutely right. We didn't have that before, but you're right. The guy behind the auto parts was the guy, right? The guy behind the yeah. auto parts, he was like, okay, I want to go talk to Bob. Hey, Bob, I'm having yeah. another problem. Hey, man, kick back. Let me let me show you how that's done. Yeah. I was taught to always upsell, upsell. Hey, Joey, you bought a thermostat. Did you sell him the gasket? Did you sell him the stuff that you have to put on the gasket? Did you? Did? And then yeah. you know you start learning. Then we had the books. I mean, we're barely getting the computers. Everybody kind of looked at the computers like, don't bother me. Give me that book. Give me that book. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And they're all dirty from all the mechanics hands going through them. There you go, buddy. Yeah. 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 And you had to learn how to use that book too. That was like a difficult, it was huge. You know, all those books were giant. Um, And, but, and, and getting back to the thing, that guy actually could afford to buy a house too, which was rad. Yes. (laughs) Right. That guy could like afford to like, support his kids and have a family and those auto parts um, were very personal you know to them they were very yeah. family if the wife was being the bookkeeper or the son was working oh, there yeah. i remember i just yeah. ace high Same auto parts too. in eagle rock on uh and in, in eagle rock it was a smaller auto parts the guy told me about how he we had a machine shop in the back the old man used That's to we had. they used to bring the heads they used to bring the uh the rotors to get them turned all that stuff i was just learning all this stuff you know and i'm going but at the same time, you got to keep the shop very clean, very neat. You could eat off the floor. I mean, he was just, he was like, I could say one of my mentors too, because his name was Chuck. And it was just like, okay, now you got to deliver. Now you're up to delivering. Now you can drive the truck. I go, oh, cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It was a big deal because you went into these shops like British uh, British sports car in, in Eagle Rock too. And the guy always had a cigarette in his mouth and he talked to you and he had that accent and he had TR6 and TR7s and TR3s because that's what he specialized in and the uh, some of the old Fiat's and stuff. And he'd be talking to you and let me see, let me see the part. And the cigarette is just going up and down and he's talking to you <laughs> about the parts and this and this and that. And you had conversations with these guys. They gave you the time of day. 
Yeah. 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 That's like um, what you're describing right there. I, I, I have the image of Ken Miles, right? Um, like just having that shop and being like the, the British guy in America, like tinkering on Euro on Euro stuff. Um, just the, yeah. uh, the characters, right? It's it's fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think what you're saying though, with with the history and the nostalgia and and what we call you know kind of like DNA and heritage now and it, it, for the '80s and '90s stuff, is is what you know people are now being driven by in many ways with with their kind of um, with their next purchase, right? And like what they like, it, we we spark that interest. It's like okay, people are coming, they're seeing the the stuff. They're like, wait a minute, I kind of thought those were cool it's, uh, in the past, but I didn't realize that people were into them. And there was there's the YouTube content out there. There's opportunities to fix these up. There's people that are doing what you said, right? Like oh, look at that setup. There's people with different suspensions and different, and that and that sort of gets people going. And we do people see and we do see people go out and make those purchases and then say, I bought this car just so I can do something with it and bring it to Radwood like that's their goal you know and like um so they go out and, and and save something and fix it up and tune and tinker and like and and do cool stuff so that's really fun to see and um and that's the Seattle event we were talking about um at our kind of our recap show how we thought it was the youngest show we had seen out of all of our events and like there were a lot of people there in their early 20s and maybe even late teens it yeah. seemed i mean i i can't tell the difference anymore you know <laughs> but but the, <laughs> they seemed super young and it was cool to see that like there was this kid like messing around with his toyota starlet and he was like tinkering with his carburetor and and i'm like wow like you know i don't even mess with carburetors like this is <laughs> but it's just it's yeah. encouraging right yeah it's, and, uh, and you know it gives you hope <laughs> yeah and, and you, we talk about it all the time you know like yeah we like electric cars too and they have a purpose and like you know they're fantastic fantastic appliances you know to get you around town and, and, and traffic and all that kind of stuff but it's hard to get passionate about them i know that there are people in the industry try to do that and and make them entertaining and engaging and all that but like this is something else right this is history this is what you grew up with as you said early yes. on this is what you were driven to uh, school in this is what you saw growing up this is mm -hmm. our 50s and 60s hot rods from the past generation right that's like our our version of that and so um, you know, we're, we're stoked to see how much, how much has happened here in the last few years in terms of interest and, and, and how much more people are, are using these. And, and, and we like to see them on the road, you know, as Warren said, like, yes, like they're getting more expensive because they're, there's, they're, they don't not make it anymore. You know, there are fewer on the road and there's more people that are interested in buying them and fixing them up. But that means we get to see cool, clean versions of these cars again. Right. And like, it's fun to see that or otherwise they're, you know, they would be gone and dilapidated. Like think back 15 years, like it was extremely difficult to see a nice 928 because they had all been given up on, right? They were too expensive to keep on the road, like for, for or with, been modified yeah. by three different owners. Yeah. With the yes. exception of Lane, Not, I think Lane had one that was in decent shape, but, but, um, for the most part, you know, like it, it was just a car that was too, it was not worth maintaining, you know, from a value standpoint. So that's kind of come full circle now. And now you see them, you see them quite often and they're, they're super nice ones uh, around again. And so that's, that's, um, that's one of the, the cool things about this kind of movement, if you will, but, but yeah, um, no, no. Yeah, resurgence, I, I think, I think the movement, like uh, you guys were saying, you know, like we have the YouTube, we have that. Yeah. That's the new generation. And, and I'm glad that exists. We had the guy, Bob, behind the counter that we used to go visit. Let's talk. Hey, I have a, I have an issue here. Hey, 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 just sit down. That was our YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, our, yeah our YouTube, right? So we have yeah. this stuff now that it's a new generation of way to communicate, you know, which we didn't have. And maybe back then we'd go, man, that would have been cool if we had that. But we didn't. Yeah. But yeah. yes, yeah. as long as those shows exist, as long as you guys are those enthusiasts that understand that type of market, because what? Today, telemetry, man. Telemetry. You got to yeah. have a computer to plug it in. It's going to tell you everything you need. You got to know codes and you got to know this. 
yeah, that's cool too. But just imagine all that young generation of technicians out there that are car guys, right? That I said, and their father's probably saying, what is all that stuff, man? I hey, no, no, everything yeah. was by hand and everything was this and everything was a manual and everything. But hey, it's evolution the way I look at it. But yep, exactly. we, we're lucky. We're lucky that we're, we, we have the stuff from the past and stuff from the present and we can yeah. mix it together. So, so I wanted to, uh, I was thinking we would just, uh, hit the questions now and then whatever we don't cover, we can, we can cover with Joey afterwards Sounds good. and kind of just figure this out. Cause obviously Joey is here representing Motul and, um, there are some oil specific questions. So I thought we'd get right into it. Um, so autumn automotive omnivore asks, um, unserious question, gear oil smells terrible. How does Motul gear? 37590 managed to smell better than the rest. Yeah. Well, when you burn it up, it doesn't smell good anymore. <laughs> I know I, I've been in a I, I've been in certain circumstances where they've taken it out when they shouldn't have taken it out. It happened in Button Willow. And boy, it smells, right? But it's 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 burned up. It's going it, it, it went through the ringer. Um, we have esters in it. So the ester sometimes he has that scent. Uh, because we use different esters from the vegetable family, let's say. Uh. And so some of those esters give out that scent. Uh, there's, I'm not saying that there's not products that Motu makes. We own another company called iPhone. People think it's a Japanese company. No, we own that company too, but it's all, all power sports, right? And we put scent into the two-stroke product. So when you're riding that motorcycle and the mm. guy's behind you, you get the strawberry smell. And you should see <laughs> people. Oh, yeah. Now, Whoa, you guys, it's like a vape or something. I'll tell you something. Yeah, there you go. One is coming. <laughs> Our new 802T. Uh, new generation of formula. It's going to have a scent. I forgot. I don't think it's a strawberry scent, but it's going to have a nice scent. So <laughs> getting back to that question is that, yeah, even our 300 V has a, a very nice scent because of those esters. That's why you see people when I had my wife's Q7 and they went, uh, did some service uh, on it. I saw the guys open the can and then the other guy came over and started smelling the can and goes, why are you sniffing the oil, babe? I go, cause it smells good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He says, uh, that's funny. More serious question. Uh, newer cars, uh, that are specced for five W 20. Is it usually just for fuel economy or do you see clearances so tight that five thirty or five forty creates a problem? Well, Thanks you got to understand too. DWA. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt, but, uh, <laughs> no worries. I'm, I'm sorry. Just finished the question. I'm sorry. I'm- oh no. Uh, he was just asking, uh, those newer cars that take five twenty. is it because of fuel economy or is it because other oils wouldn't work for their tolerances? Yeah, no, that's good. Very, very good question because I get that question all the time, very often. So you buy a new car today, right? Any manufacturer you talk to is going for fuel economy, right? But it's more than just fuel economy, right? It's even engine components, thermoplastics that they use. A manifold, you used to pick it up from a 350, you let it fall on your foot, you're done. You pick up a manifold today, you could throw it at somebody or throw it across the street. So in other Plastic. words, it's a combination of a lot of things, but sticking to the oil question, yeah, it, those engines are designed and built around those viscosities with different components, better material, but fuel efficiency is a big deal. Yes, it is. So you make products that can cause less drag in an engine, but still protect the engine, right? So fuel economy. But what I always say to everybody is look at your manual. Sometimes we overlook the manual. I mean, some... You know, not on purpose, but sometimes uh, that's too much reading. But you look at the manual and you sometimes have different options for different temperatures, right? Uh, even the style of driving that you do sometimes. So sometimes you'll see a 520, but you could also use a 030 or 530. So the tolerances are tighter for sure. If you go too far out, 
This is what happened to one guy. This, that's why I say it's a good question. Volkswagen came out with the 020 for the new specs, right? And it said, not backward compatible. There was a guy that calls me and says, hey, man, I used your 020. It really sucks because my engine's making noise. I go, oh, that must be another issue then. I says, so what year is your car? And it says, and what viscosity did you use before? I use 540 because my car is a 2000, I think it was a 2016. I go, well, you got the wrong product. It said, so I kind of, instead of making the guy feel dumb, I educate him, you know, go back to your manual and see what the other options are. If you want to go to a higher viscosity, but the 020 is there because better fuel economy. So the engine is designed around it. That's why it says it's not backward compatible for a car that's using 540 and you use a 020, you may have issues, you may have noise, you may have too much gap within the bearings because they're not designed for that. So when you find things like that, yeah, it's always good to look at that manual. What are the other options? You know? Sure. So yeah, fuel economy is a big, big uh, thing now. Of course. Big part of it. You know, Porsche, right? Porsche's um, uh, single turbo, uh, three liter Panamera, Panamera, uh, that uses a, a, a 020 now, you know, okay. oh, wow. you know, and yeah. some of their SUVs use a 020, not the 911s, but now their new 911s are coming out with the G, well, they're already here with the GPF system, a uh, gas particular filter, like the diesels, diesel particular filter. You go, what's that all about? Oh, wow. For, they have that for gas now? Yes. Yes. Of course, it's the first one. I don't think you'll see it in the US. One, cost. It's expensive, yeah. right? But the Germans got it, and those cars are already here. Yeah, and it's wow. GPS. It has. It has to. The oil has to be designed specifically for those after treatment systems, especially you know gas is lighter, so the 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 honeycomb in those systems are more delicate. They're more fragile. So if you put the wrong oil with too much suit, you're going to run into issues where you'll clog it. And believe me, those systems are very expensive because you got a lot of sensors too added to that. Hmm. You know, okay. let's just stick to Radwood cars. Forget yeah, all that. There you go. 80s and 90s for us. Um, fuel economy. Fuel economy is a big role. Fuel economy is for sure. Yeah. 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 Now if you got that engine and you, you know, uh, tore it apart and went to higher tolerances because you're, you know, you're doing something more performance. Yeah. Then you can walk up, you know, the ladder a bit, but yeah, it's always good to know why there's a 020. Why is there a 520? Why is there a 016 now? You know, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I've seen that. 016. Um, my femur hurts asks, he has two very important questions. We'll start with the first here, which is, uh, should he change his RBF 600 annually or can he get get away with a few years before it's full of water? So that's a brake fluid, correct? <laughs> I think if you're full of water, you're done, bud. You may say <laughs> I should have changed it. Where's the car? See the tree, you know, but uh, all I'm saying, that's a good question because we get many, many questions about brake fluids, you know, from a dot five, from an RBF 600. What, 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 why all these brake fluids, right? Well, of course, we design brake fluids for certain uses, you know, application specific. In his case, you know, if he's going to use the car for track days, let's say, because RBF 600 is not a very cheap product. Well, I mean, not a very inexpensive product. It's pretty expensive. But if he's going to go to track days, so he does that every month or periodically, he goes to the track and the car is heavily modified and there's more horsepower and maybe the brakes are still stock. Maybe he just changed uh, more performance pads, right? Yeah, that brake fluid's going to get abuse. That brake fluid's going to go up and down. But if it's a guy like my neighbor down the street that has the RBF 600 in his Porsche and he only drives it X amount of uh, maybe, maybe two times a month, you know, that guy's going to change it every year. It's 
the Department of Transportation says, hey, every two years, but sometimes it depends where you live. If you live somewhere like Florida, where it's very, very humid, yeah, yeah, it'll absorb. Now, there will go back to the old school. There's still a guy in Pasadena where you take his car, he puts his little tool in there and sees yep. how much moisture. He goes and explains it to the customer. Man, you're, you're close to the red. And let me explain why. Hey, man, do the flush. Yeah, so yeah to that guy if he's gonna depending on his driving habits and what he's doing with the car is he doing track days if i was a let's take worst scenario right let's take uh, let's take this scenario he goes to the track you know maybe every other month his high, car is more high performance he's done modifications to it it's just a performance car right out of the box and he's hard on the brakes so he likes to go to the canyons yeah you probably want to change a little more often but check the check the fluid check the fluid you know because yeah. the minute that fluid starts getting a certain percentage of moisture into it and it becomes compressible or you could compress it, well, that's where your pedal is going to feel kind of weird and you may start getting that brake fade, right? But, you know, fluid is supposed to be uncompressible the way, the, you know, it works, you know. But once that fluid starts wearing out, but again, depending on what that customer does with that car. Yeah. Good, good answer. His, his second question is much more technical. He says, uh, dry beef jerky that's so dry, you have to reconstitute it by slowly chewing it mm-hmm. or soft, wet glazed jerky. What's your, what's your answer? Yeah. So I got a good, I got a good one for that, you know, uh, uh, olive oil cream, <laughs> but, you, but I shouldn't say that because if the guy tries it and he goes, Hey man, I got poison. No. No, I mean, I guess, I guess you chew it, man. You chew it and chew He's it. He's asking which one you prefer. Do you like a wet jerky or a real dry jerky? Dry. Dry. You're the, that's the right answer. Good job. You know, uh, but, <laughs> I mean, Kurt K. Uh, K photo says, uh, pretty sure my 91 Camaro has been running 5W30 conventional its whole life on a stock motor that's never been apart. 34,000 miles. 34,000 miles? 34,000 miles on a really nice 91 Camaro. Oh, wow. Uh, any benefit to switching to synthetic for my car or rad era cars in general? Any truth to the internet talk that you can't mix and match or that synthetic makes old cars leak? This is exactly my question as well. Oh, guys, I love you for this. Man. It's everyone's question. Man, I love you guys for this because I've had that question since I started at Motul, you know, the old myths about, but there's some truth to some of the stuff. And so getting to his question about the Camaro, if the Camaro was well taken care of, well, 34,000 miles is not a lot of miles for that year of Camaro. But if it was well taken care of, it's basically garage, materials do wear out, right? Materials start getting brittle. They start cracking. We know that synthetics, the word just synthetic makes it seem very slippery, right? Synthetic, you know? Yeah, and it's true. So synthetics, and I'll give you that story really quick. I had my 1969 Squareback. My father was using Tri-Syn synthetic mobile one on one of his rides and he i said dad i want to use that oil no you don't want to use that oil you want to use a mineral product so my dad went on vacation mr smarty here went and got his oil did his oil change he came home one day i was gone like for two days uh we went camping or something i came back and he says hey man he goes uh you changed the oil in the car go how do you know i says go look at the bottom of the car and you better clean it fast because your mom, my mom was an interior decorator. She says, she's going to kick your butt, man. I go, what do you mean? It goes, it peed all over the, the driveway. I go, what do you mean peed all over the driveway? There I go. So I thought something was wrong with the car. No, it leaked through the court gaskets on the valve covers. Probably other, other orifices there, but the cork, you know, synthetics, found those orifices, very slippery, very thin, and it would leak. 
And in, th in those cases, yes. On a Camaro of that year, modern technology as far as gasket material, different. Yes, back in the day where you bought maybe a 91, 90, you know, even later, you, you, not much later, but you would get cars that would come from the factory with mineral. They would come with mineral, you know. Today's technology, you see, you buy a new car, it's either got, it's got synthetic in it, you know. And so the question to that is that, would it be better? Yes, it would. Because in some cases, like I said, on older cars, you will run into an issue like that. But a 91, I can't see it run into an issue by putting a synthetic in it. No, no way, because back then he already had synthetics. In his case, I would run a semi-synthetic. And that's why we came in with that 80s, 90 line. First of all, the zinc properties in it, right? 1,800 parts per million, the molly that doesn't just help the engine, but also gives you a little more performance on it. So that's an, a package that's made for that era, made for, the, for those cars. You can put the 1030 on there and you won't have an issue. So if he's a little, I would, I, for me, I would go and would put a classic product in it, like the classic that we have, the 1030. And you, I'm sure you won't have issues in it because 34,000 miles, that car hasn't been driven a lot. And if that car was well taken care of, garage and all that, I cannot see it in any shape or form that it would leak, you know? Yeah. But it, if he wants um, to be cautious, you know, yeah, he can do that. So, so the, the, what I've, what I've always, one thing I've heard, you know, people always say is uh, that the synthetics are so good and they're so clean that they basically like, they almost like have a detergent and it cleans all the gunk, you know, it's, they're saying it cleans all this gunk well, that's built up around your gaskets mm -hmm. and then your car is going to leak where it didn't leak before because it had a bunch of like basically gunk sitting around it dislodges the stuff that's it dis been yeah. dislodges all this stuff and basically cleans your engine so well and makes it that it, that it causes leaks is i mean is that i mean and, and, do you think that's a reality and in a car that's always been that has a lot of miles more of a, i'm talking an older car like they say this 91 camaro that was always being driven hard and stuff and all he uses mineral you build up some kind of the little varnishes a little bit maybe a little sludge again depending on how that engine was taken care of yeah here comes a synthetic what they why? Because why? Well, then why just the synthetic? Well, long drain interval. Remember, the package of of detergent is very robust. You know, so it's going to go in there and it's going to do its thing. So yeah, if something's already brittle or old and it's been clogged by that uh, mineral product and it, there's a little varnish or any kind of buildup, yeah, this comes up and just cleans it very well. Uh -huh. It could be a possibility because I've seen that before. Uh, good you know? to know. Uh, I think because like Warren Warren's, Warren drives an E30 mm -hmm. with like 200 and something thousand miles on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 300. and I have a Porsche 944 with the same, like 200, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Who knows how many miles they both have on it. And what are you guys using? Uh, I use conventional, uh, conventional motor oil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I've traditionally used, uh, or since when I early bought, the, it was Brad Penn mm -hmm. motor oil. Yeah, Matt. Yeah. Which I don't, it's kind of like a, I think it's a semi-synthetic, I think. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm waiting on some uh, Motul. <laughs> now, we'll get you that. Yeah. Send, send, you know, guys, you guys send me the email. I'll get it done right away. Sounds I know good. sometimes yeah. our guys are running around, so, but they always send it to me. He goes, yeah, Joey, how could you do it right away? Well, because some, I'm the technical guy. Sometimes I just get done. I'm there. Okay. Nice. Get this order through. So, please, guys, send me that email. But on that question that you said, yeah, I've seen that happen before. The buildup, I it's funny you guys say that we had we were at the long beach grand prix and uh you guys know stan from toyo no he, uh no 
he he had this little CB100, I think, classic old Honda bike, right? And he just was rushing things and he changed the oil. He put a synthetic in there and it was leaking. And then he went back to our 3000 mineral and he saw it. I go, well, that's a good example of, a, of an engine that was never touched. It still ran. But a lot of the materials that they used back then were not compatible, you know, hmm. to a synthetic. Uh, so, yeah, the mineral... No issue. It went bad because it leaks very little because it always leaked a little bit, but not like when I put the synthetic in. I go, that was a great, great example there when that happens, you know. Yeah. Uh, older cars that have like a, a ZR1 engine or they modernize the engine or a brand new, well, it's a different story, right? Right. Like LS sure. swaps or whatever. Um, yeah. So I do want to touch on, uh, I know we have some, a few more questions, but I think it's important to mention that, um, you know, Motul, and um, has launched an 80s and 90s centric line, right? The Moto Modern Classic line, which we're collaborating on. And um, some people out there, you know, were like thinking that it maybe it's a little gimmicky, right? Yeah, the packaging is cool or whatever. But you touched on a couple things. You talked about the zinc content. You talked about, uh, you know, one other thing I forgot. But um, I did want to just kind of brush on that quickly and and understand like how it's been formulated or or what is the formula that's specific to these cars and why it matters? Uh, because I, you know, I, I want to, like I talked to Nolan about it before, but I'd love to hear kind of your, your, um, take on it and, um, and why it's actually the real deal. And it's not just this gimmicky thing, you know? No, no, I, man, I'm glad you said that because a can looks pretty. And sometimes that throws people off, Well, that's a pretty can, but what's, you know, yeah. what's in it. You know? So, you always have to, if it looks good on the outside, it's got to be even 10 times, 20 times better on the inside. And it's got to tell the truth because at the same time, when we make things, we had a classic line in the past that we made and in Europe and it was successful. It came to the United States. We brought it in, in a can, very similar to the, what you see. And it just didn't head off. It didn't head off. It didn't head off because it was bad product. Uh, we just didn't put the marketing dollars behind it because we were trying to grow the line that we were you know, that I, that I came into, you know, the, the, the current line, the 8100, the 300V. So when we decided to bring it back, we want to do it correctly. Why in the United States? Yeah, there's a lot of myths, you know, more is better. Well, not all the time. It's got to be a balanced formulation. It's not like you can just go and say, I want to buy this big giant gallon of zinc. I'm not saying they sell it that way. And I'm just going to keep pouring it because that's what I need. Well, you got to remember that you throw the bearing itself, those those additives fight for space and it's formulated to make sure everything works in sequence if you put too much of something too much salt on that steak it's not going to taste very good well it's not going to perform very good either because something's going to be sacrificed so too much of that too is not good so when we decided to bring it back at that time we think we had like 1100 parts per million on the classic stuff which was more than enough i'm talking classic I'm not thinking a guy that goes out there and does tractor pulling and stuff because those engines are heavily modified. And those guys that work on those engines will tell you what they need in their engines. Why? Because they've done all this testing, but not everybody has a tractor pulling engine, right? They, that's <laughs> sure. not what they do. So if you look back in the history, if we go go somewhere back like in the 1930s, the 51s, even up to 67, you had zinc in parts per million were like within 600, 750, even up to maybe 900 parts per million. That's what the, that's all those cars needed. Why? Because of all the components that bash together. An anti-wear that's very good, that works very good, not very expensive, right? But it protects those two pieces of metal when they're banging against each other. Sacrificial shield that comes in between and then it dies off. 
but it's activated under pressure and heat. So there's different types depending on your formulation. So we knew that coming back with the classic here in the United States, when this whole thing happened, it wasn't announced on Channel 7. Hey, for all you classic guys out there and push rod engines and whatnot, we're dropping the levels of that anti-wear. We're dropping it down, so just be aware. No, there was issues happening. And I don't know, you probably, you know, if you guys remember, there was a lot of issues. You went to SEMA the following year with all these issues, and you saw a lot of smaller companies saying, Mine has 2,200 parts per million. Mine has 3,200 parts per million, blah, 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 blah. It really got, it was a big deal. It was a big deal because it was issues starting to happen, right? So what happened? That got just in their, they, they, were, they were trained that way, that more is better. Not everybody, because you've got guys that know how to build engines and know their stuff. But your regular guy was just going, okay, man, I'll buy that zinc additive. I'll buy that zinc additive. I'll buy that product that has this. Now this, now this. I want it higher, higher, higher. No, it wasn't explained very well. You know what I mean? So more is better. So no, it's not. It's a combination of things, depending on what you're going to do. So being that this is a classic product for consumers that have classic cars, we made a product that came back to the United States with 1,800 parts per million instead of 1,100 parts per million. Not that 1,100 parts per million didn't work. But 1800 was what the market was looking for. The guy that you talk with the Chevy engine, the guy that you talk with the old Porsche, the guy that you talk to the classic guy, that's where they were looking because they've already been introduced to those amounts to a point. But that means we still had to have a product that was well balanced. And I just say, all right, just add more because they're going to ask because 1100 is not acceptable and we'll never sell it. And that's kind of, kind of what happened, even though I have to, I explain how things work. And I had guys with air cool Porsches that tried our classic stuff, never had an issue with the 1100 parts per million. But the, you still have the majority of it that said, no, I'm looking for something with more and more because somebody told me and somebody told me, have you ever had issues with it? No, never had issues. But I think more is better. No, not necessarily. So we made a product now that is very balanced, 1800 parts per million to meet the market needs, right? But at the same time, we just didn't do it just to do it. We had to make sure that even the base oils, the right additives went into that because we know that that's the one we wanted to capture, that market of the classic market. You, you see what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Now, if somebody tells me your 300V doesn't have 1,800 parts per million. Yeah, but we have other additives in there or the esters that also work as an anti-wear. So we don't have to. And of course, even the DNA of the base stocks that we use. So it's a combination of formulating it. We don't need that. And guy goes... That product wastes 24 hours of Le Mans. For 24 hours, they're bleeding the crap out of the oil. You know, so once I explain that to them, they understand. Yeah. So I hope that answers kind of your question. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah, it's yeah. There's it's it's about built making a formulation that's that is specific to this particular area of cars based on the the type of engine. Also, the materials I think is very important. You touched on right. So, I think um you know mm -hmm. understanding what materials were available at the time, what type of gaskets are used, what type of bearing tolerances are required, and blah 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 blah, and it all adds on. And so, this is mm -hmm. sp designed around those features and those attributes. And so. Um, you know, it's going to make your engine run as good as it, as it can. <laughs> and it's going to, and it's also going to, uh, most importantly limit wear, right. Which is, which is key. So it, it keeps it running healthy. Um, but yeah, we're, we're super excited to have that. I mean, uh, we saw that, um, at, when we, we were at Radwood NorCal, 
I was just kind of walking by your booth and people were trying to like buy it on the spot. And like they yes. were, they were excited about the prospect of having oil that was specific for their era. But you know, also yeah. I heard people saying, I want to own it just because I love the way it looks, which is also cool. You know, like they, they almost That's treated good. it like a collector item, right? It's like, they're, they're yeah, so excited yeah. that there's something tailored to that generation. And, and, um, that it's the, awesome. And it's tailored to, it's a new product. That's tailored to that generation, right? right? So it's 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 relying on modern ways of doing things and and all everything you've learned from the past. It's not just like re-releasing some old product. Yeah, which is, and that, that's which is a cool thing. And it's it's funny you say that because that we had to keep in mind, right? We're bringing back the product. We know the can looks cool, and the marketing you can throw behind it. I won't I won't mention a company that did that in the past. There was a lot of commercials, a lot of stuff. They found out it was causing damage to the engines, right? But they hyped it up so much that people are like, whoa, whoa, okay, check this out. Look at what they're showing on TV. This infomercial that shows you, wow, this and this. Oh, and ended up- Is it Slick 50? You guys probably know who it is. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say anything because, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, right? when you said infomercial, but, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's, it's good that you said that because now, you know, we look at what the market, where the market is and how that, in the United States, how those things work. In Europe, sometimes they laugh at us. Really? You need that much? But we've had this much and never had an issue with our old, you know, some of our French cars or British cars. Yeah. But here it's a little different. So we wanted to make sure that when we brought this product, it, it was re- not just the can, the marketing part of it, but what's inside could relate to the customer and how it works. Because if that guy comes to me, and I'll tell you what, at your show, the number one question, the number one question. So I'm looking for a product that has a good level of zinc. You get to ask that to Nolan. Go, man, yeah. here comes another one. There's another one. Yeah, yeah, which was good because now I could explain my product. I'm not talking about the pretty can. I'm not talking about how that product is formulated and how well it's going to perform for that car that you're talking about and why you're looking for that higher zinc level. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, Alex Stadel asks. Has Motul considered taking a chunk of the intimate lubricant market? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're That's not a French greedy. company, right? We're not greedy. We'll take what we can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Jacob Torres, last question. Uh, what is the foreseeable future of refined oil? I can imagine your answer will be in the scope of Motul's developments. Are we near significant molecular composition change for oils? Something totally synthetic that is starting to stray even further from conventional oil or developments more piecemeal. Um, He says we take oil for granted. So I'm just curious about the chemical side that allows us to stay lubed as ice. That's a inside podcast Mm -hmm. joke, but um, (laughs) what do you, what do you see? Like, is there anything kind of interesting or significant on the development side of oil? I mean, is it really changing that much or is it a slow curve? Well, I think because you're talking about the masses, right? You're talking about stuff like that. It's it's technology is always changing, and it's not because Motu finds something. But I think if you look at the masses, I want to explain it about the masses. Yeah, the technology is definitely changing. You know, when you have like a mineral product, which is group one, group two, it's not a synthetic, but it's, you know those groups come in different. They're, they're identified differently. You know, group one, group two, group two plus. Those are mineral products. Then you got group threes that get synthesized, they get cleaner, they go through a hydrocracking process, different process to make them more pure, to give it a better VI number and things like that, to give it a better performance. Then you have your group fours, your PAOs that you, it's still a product that comes out of the ground, but now you're going to make it like a bionic 
type of product, right? So you take everything apart, you put all these different additives in it, you balance it right, you make all the molecules nice and, and nice, the right size. So now it's gonna give you the best performance under cold, under hot conditions. And then you'll go to group fives where the esters come in. So that technology is always advancing, 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 you know? Why did cars now, back in not too long ago, uh, my, my father-in-law, his IS300, when we went to buy it, the first generation, it came with the mineral product, believe it or not, from the factory. So when we went to do the oil change, I remember he said, the guy, I told the guy, hey, can, we, can you use a synthetic? I have some product. He goes, yeah, but we're recommending to use. I said, well, wait a minute. I see a car out there and I saw this little thing there that you're using synthetics now on the new model. It didn't change much. Yeah, I should. I, it sounds like you know your stuff. We've had some sludge issues because some people go over the long drain intervals that we recommend or whatever, right? Ah, okay. And some of the new generation engines are requiring a synthetic because they're running hotter. You guys know that. You see, you know, your uh, you see your temperature gauge right in the middle. You know, back in the day, if it started getting up in the middle, you're like, holy man, make the sign of the cross, man. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? So. Again, the technology in, 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 in oils or lubricants, yeah, they are definitely changing and changing. Let's take algae, for instance, what they're getting out of algae, right? What are they getting out uh, of algae? Yeah, that's a, let's talk about that. That seems like <laughs> yeah. a big step, right? Uh, something moving away from Yeah, it's from a big organic. step, you know. Uh, from, um, even automotive, even automotive com companies, you know, other companies that they have that are producing to lubricate engines to see – could they get out of a more of a natural resources and pumping it out of the ground? Could it sustain those types of heat? Could it sustain those types of pressures and performance, right? They got to think of all that, right? Because this guy's going to drive his car and we want to maybe have that oil be changed every 20,000 miles and every, then every 10,000 miles. So how well could that product work? So all these different types of technologies are coming out and different types of uh, uh, oils are coming out from different natural resources, it's a big deal, and I'm t and, I, and I'll tell you why because Motu is doing that, and we're not the only ones. We got the huge companies are developing that a lot. Esters, you know, we have a new generation 300V that's coming out, right? And it's called, you know, still called the ester core, but you have a carbon about 18% less carbon footprint when you're making this product. Okay, so. Are you guys going to go greener? And is that going to in any way, shape, or form uh, sacrifice the performance of the 300V? No, because we're doing these testing all the time, all the time. So why? Because that's where it's going. That is, that's where it's that's where it's going. And I'm talking about electric cars. We know they're here, and they're every 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 manufacturer now has one, you know, almost. And uh, but we're talking about. The engines that we have now and the technology of those combustion engines are still coming out because they're not just going to go away. So lubricants too have to meet a, a certain point where they have to burn cleaner, perform better. Zero 016, really? We have a zero 08 that they use. Uh, wow. now. We have a zero 08 in mm. our lineup already. We make a zero 08. <laughs> uh, that's very thin. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not telling yeah. you to go put it in your Porsche, but if a manufacturer <laughs> comes out with an engine that was designed to use a zero 08, that's what you have to use if you're buying that car for that reason. So yes, technology, esters, or other types of uh, natural resources that we have that we can pull something out, like you know, fuel out of corn, right? Yeah. Blah blah blah. Yes, for sure. You're seeing a lot more of different uh, 
uh, resources are out there that we're doing testing, not just us, but everybody else. And that's just yeah. the way it's going. And so you know, yeah, combined with something combined that, with like synthetic fuels and stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, it's keeping the car hobby alive and keeping it, yeah. you know, uh, keeping us responsible or whatever, I guess. Um, I know Warren has a hard out in 10 you minutes guys or so. Can continue with but that. I do bit. have, I, I do have one more question. Yeah. I have one question specifically to my car. Mm-hmm. Porsche 944 require, you know, it asks for 20 W50 mm-hmm. conventional oil from stock. Yeah. Um, so you guys have an 80s and 90s and are fluid, but you don't have a 2050. Um, we we have a 2050. You have a 2050 classic, but not in the synthetic, semi-synthetic. Or sorry, not in the in your 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 new like modern classic, right? No, line? I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you for bringing yeah, that up. No. So so, so yeah. our classic line completely yeah. was revamped from the 30. Okay. Excuse me, the 50, uh, the 1030. Well, the 1030 and the 1040 are the new ones, but the 1550. And the 2050. The 1550 is a semi-synthetic, and the okay. 2050 we re-ramped that too. That has 1,800 parts per million. Okay. Got the molly in it. So yeah, the whole line was revamped. Gotcha. Because because like as with the new labels and stuff, 2050 mm-hmm. isn't in that. But I did see that you have a 2050. Yes. So I was just curious about yeah. that. And actually, okay. I'll be honest with you. When we were at the historics. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody thought, oh man, it's 1040, this 1030 is gonna go like water. At that event, 2050 ruled still. You had your old Corvettes, your old trams, your old Porsches. 2050 was the one that we we didn't bring enough. It, it, just, oh, wow. it just went out the door. So that means that, no that, that means that the Lane's 944 motor is archaic. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it requires uh it had it has tolerances yeah. of an old motor. Uh, and so you still need to use that, but maybe with the 10 30, well, dude, it's a big, uh, 2.5 liter four cylinder, yeah, right? 2.5. Like a, yeah. So it's like a thumper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, I'm just thinking like the, t- the, the choice for the 1030 and the 1040 in the modern classic line is, is kind of, cause you have to, you only have one, right. And I know this is the first, the first products that you launched with in this particular line. And uh, mm-hmm. it should meet the largest demand or the or apply to the largest uh, uh, amount of cars possible, right? It's kind of like from a, from a, an actual practical standpoint, like you have to understand, okay, well, which which oil is going to apply have the most applications out there in this particular decade, right? And so, and also perform well, and also and 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 right. And um, I'm just maybe at some point, like, do you think there's the possibility of of having a 2050 added to the modern classic line? Um, was that or would that not fit the bill for mo- enough cars in that era? Well, no, but but it is added to the modern classic. So so, but it's just not call. It doesn't have the mo- the new gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. so that's where I'm yeah. like yeah. that that because you guys have the there's the '90s motor oil and there's '80s one. Yes. This isn't one of those. It's still a modern classic mm-hmm. line, but it just has the traditional. Motul, which is a rad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the cans are rad looking, anyways. Yeah, you know? the graphics on the the old school. Uh, you guys have a good logo and colors and everything. Yeah, so thank you. It looks cool, but it's not like um, it just isn't like catered towards eighties or nineties no. with the twenty W fifty because I would imagine just I don't. I mean, yeah, and I know. Yeah, I don't know many. I mean, I know nine forty fours take twenty fifty. Pro, I think nine elevens of the era take twenty fifty. Yeah, so a lot of Porsches. A fifteen fifty uh, or a twenty fifty. You know, when we didn't have, well, we had it, but we didn't bring it to the United States. I'll tell you what. A lot of my air cool guys that I known in Pasadena and all these little shops that they 
specialized just on, you know, the older Porsches, 6,100, which is now called 4,100, 1550, it rocked. Mm-hmm. They loved that stuff. That was a semi-synthetic. And then my 1040, 6,100, that rocked too, you know? Uh, and people say, well, man, you guys sell a lot of that. I go, yeah, because there's that little generation of customers that are still looking for those viscosities. It's there. You just, when you start getting more involved and you go, God, there's more than I thought, right? Yeah. In that lineup. But when we decided to bring the classic, we pumped up a lot of the, the formulation got re, uh, reformulated to meet the demands of what the market's calling for here now. But that other product, like I mentioned, that's what I used to push and it worked really well, mm. you know? That's good to know. Like some people didn't want to talk about it because they didn't want to tell the other shop. Yeah. And yeah. I think I did I did use that and it was really good. Yeah. I just ran out of it last time I did an oil change or yeah. something. But uh because I had I think it was the fifteen it was like the fifteen is it fifteen fifty? Yeah, fifteen fifty. Yeah. In the fifteen fifty, the the, 1550, yeah. the, the it's like a, a blend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a blend. Yeah. But yeah. you know, the yeah. the thing about that, those two products. It has a very high concentration of synthetic in it, you know. So if you really want to play the game, you know, and say, you know, I can call it a full synthetic, you know. Here, there's no really, there's not really hardcore regulations when it comes to that. It's like you open oh. up a Pandora box, right? Oh. Who regulates? Okay, well, how much semi-synthetic do you have in there? Man, back in the day, it could be like a 1% group three, maybe a little PAO to get it to a certain level of performance. You know, but it was still just a synthetic, a synthetic blend. There's nothing that says it in the front or the back of the label percentage. Mm. But we're very truthful with people. We can call it that because of the level, the level of uh, synthetics that it has in there. You know, we go above it. You know, but the rule of thumb here, something over at least a minimum of ten percent or higher. Mm. You know, so depending on what product you're buying, you know, you go to sometimes a Seven Eleven. They got an X brand. And let's say synthetic blend. It may be just a level to give you just enough of that little performance you need on the street just to drive it every day and you don't have a problem, you don't have an issue, right? But if you put it under something like a E30 where you like to push that car and it still has a classic, I mean, still has the engine in it and you haven't done too many modifications on it and the way you drive, it may not be the right oil for you, you know? So again, you know, our, our products, we make sure that they... If they're going to be designed to do a job from any era, right? They got to be designed correctly. And not just like you guys said it, you guys said it right. Paint a pretty bottle on it, make it look good, put some marketing dollars behind it. And some you'll convince, but not all. And those are the ones that ask you those questions at the show. Those are the ones that come up to you and they start picking your brain and stuff like that. And you got to be ready to answer that. Hey, no, this product wasn't just made because I want to get into the classic world. No. Mm-hmm. And there's more to it here. Let me explain. Yeah. Hey, Joey, yeah. I got to, I got to bounce. You guys wrap up without me. It was so good to talk to you. Hey, same here, buddy. I hope we could do yeah. it again. We'll see you at the next show for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Oh, send me your emails. If you guys need your products. Oh, well, we got you. Okay. Yeah, we, yeah. But we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep going for a yeah, minute yeah. though. Okay. Um, I did want to say like, mm-hmm. I do think that's the great thing about you guys being at Radwood events is that, you know, people like, I think a lot of us are like, we don't know what to get, you know, in mm-hmm. our cars. We're like, you know, you go through like, you know, I always used a growing up. It was always like Castrol 2050. I don't know. You know, that was just what I, that's what I ran, you know, yeah. for every, and, and cause I've had 944s forever and 914s. I would run tw- probably 2050 on that too, mm-hmm. I think. Or, um, 
and it was just always getting the same motor oil and we would have the big you know gallon jugs on our shelves and in the garage and stuff and uh and then it's like you get to that point you're like oh man i should there has to be something better and newer out and Mm -hmm. then you go to look and you know it's kind of a hard thing to research and everyone has differing opinions on the and it's internet and it's a lot of people just like pushing whatever they use as the best thing yeah but it might not be really the best thing they might just like they might be uninformed right so having you guys add our radwoods is so awesome because people can go up pick your brain and be like hey what is right for my car or what you know what fits this situation because it it isn't it like it isn't written on the you know it isn't written on the gas door mm-hmm. of you know it is like the viscosity is yes. 2050 in my car but it's not saying like well but if you're getting a modern you know if you're to get a you know a modern one yeah. here's the best one or yeah. here's this and here's why well you know, so. maybe you guys i don't know if you guys noticed but even when i do training seminars they say joey i've had people going to this man you never knock like liquid molly you never knock red line i go i don't i'm not here to knock anybody i'm here to give you the benefits of our product and if i have to go as far as explaining the next step i will that's what i'm here for right because I can say, ah, we do this better because we race 24 hours a month. Yes, we do this better because we're in MotoGP. Yes, we do. You know, I can use all that all day. But the guy, the simple guy is going to say, yeah, but what's it going to do for me? You know, you know, so I, I, I leave all that stuff out because all that pounding on the chest stuff, you can see it on TV. You can see us. We're here. We're there. But the guy that's asking me on a one on one question, I want to convince him that not with that stuff. I want to convince him on our product. So Radwood, to me, I think for the classic line has opened the doors even more to that type of clientele. And that consumer is the one that I have to convince with the truth. So we're there and we're explaining because this is what happened at the last show. We were there and I was like, man, these are good questions. These are good questions. Keep, okay. Keep bringing them to us. That's what we look for. Nice. Yeah. That's That's great to hear. Yeah. And I do think that, uh, you know, for a lot of these people too, it's like, you know, it's with any collector car or any classic, you know, any kind of fun car. These people also have a brand new BMW three series or GTI or, or, you know, whatever. So they, you know, once they find a product they like for their classic, you know, for the car, they love driving, they're going to put it in their daily as well. So it kind of works both ways, right? No, absolutely. And that's why we, that's one thing I like about Moto is that does it have a true racing product? Yes. And then I, I've had guys go, oh, so you say it's a true racing product. Okay. Yeah. There's no approvals on it. There's no, it's like buying a slick tire that has no DOT on it. Mm. You know, it's an off-road product. Well, this product is made and designed for that, you know, but what I like about Mo2 is that it's a very broad line. We have one, we have a service product. We have a classic product. What do you need? You know, yeah. uh, we have it. I think with, with also with what, with something like this, right, you're talking about our clientele or your clientele that comes in and are inquisitive like this and are part of this community. Like, I think from a from a consumer standpoint, and when you go out or even as a, as a selling point, when you're selling a car or buying a car, either way, like, I like to see the a mention of this because that means people care, right? So, like, if, if I'm looking at a car, like, I remember I bought an NB Miata years ago and the guy mm-hmm. listed 
that he put RBF 600 Motul in the in the brakes exclusively since day one, and then he listed mm-hmm. a few other things. And I'm like, okay, this guy knows what's up. He obviously cares, and he's like, and, and he's you know he's taking it a step above. And like to even mention that, like you know, it's someone who who is is um, going above and beyond in the care of the car, and like that's a car that I want, right? Versus something that's neglected wow. or someone who has an ignorant owner who doesn't do anything. So like, and um. I, I just appreciate those details, and I think like Motul adds value to a vehicle overall, right? Like in that way. Like, of yeah. course, it, it it genuinely is 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 a better product for your a, 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 anything that involves uh, oil, right? Your drivetrain, your brakes, whatever. Yeah. But uh, but it's it's a uh, it's definitely a, val- a a thing that adds value to cars uh, or or motorcycles, right? I mean, just because yeah. it's 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 those people that are that really that really give a shit, <laughs> and uh, and so no, no, you know what I mean. You're absolutely right. Yep. You know. It's it's uh it's it's something that again that's the thing about like Kabamo too that we're even heavy duty on the power sports and we have an outstanding line for uh, power sports uh, that's really tuned and very specific too. Mm. You know, some guy asked me the other day, "Hey man, I heard you had an off road 300V. What's up with that?" Uh, well, I use I've always used the road, and what's up with that? Because I do some off roading. I go, "Do you race the bike or are you more recreational?" No man, I really go to the track. My brothers and we just. We just slam on my uh, Suzuki and we, I'm in a car to have it modified. He started telling me all this stuff. He goes, so, and I never had really an issue with your product 300 V. I go, yeah, but we make something even more specific for competition that gives you better clutch grip, you mm. know, oh. up to be, about, even up to about 18% better clutch engagement. He goes, why? I go well, because when you're doing motocross or supercross or arena cross, you're working on that clutch all the time. You're changing gears. You're, I mean, you're just working it, working it, working it. It says, yeah, yeah, you're right. A lot. I mean, then a guy that's on the road that just opens the throttle and he says, so you want the best clutch grip and not things that can make it slip too much because maybe at the end of the race or the third heat, you don't have a clutch, mm-hmm. you know? So you want something that gives you that bite all the time because you're going over the whoopie doos, the bike lands. And when you land that bike from a jump, what's the first thing you do? You hit that throttle. You're going to burn, dirt burn, and that tire knobby grips into the dirt and it's trying to get stuck in there. You need to get out of there. What do you do? You hit it again. You hit that throttle. You hit that gear. That clutch is always going to be there to give you the best grip with that formula. Wow. I didn't even think of it that way, you know? Yeah. So. That's why we make an off-road because we went one step further to make sure that it didn't have too much of that friction modifier, that it was even better balanced for that high end of competition. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, we talked That's about cool. EV cars a little bit too, and I think it's easy to forget that brakes are still hydraulic in an EV. You know, there's still gears, there's still other things yeah. that you know. Moving forward, um, you know, there was some question about, or there was a question earlier about technology and kind of as how things are progressing, and I can see that driving different needs and requirements right and like and especially as the performance stuff comes because like um you know some of i mean it's already there you know with the crazy plaid teslas and like a lot of the the crazy ev stuff we're seeing now with hypercars but like that's also going to have different needs right because you have so much traction and so much like speed and so much and and that goes on both sides right it's like you have to slow all that mass down (laughs) and if you're and then also just from accelerating and you know putting all that stress right and uh, into into the into the fluids and i can see you know, there's there's a big movement right now, like you know, of people that are enthusiasts uh, demanding performance oriented EVs that are more engaging and interesting. So I can see there's going to be like the sports car kind of realm. And then there's, of course, like the Formula E stuff and more EV sports. And like there's, you know, what that Lewis Hamilton one is. I forget what it's called, Lane. The, oh, the, the, the one with Nico Rosberg. 
Yeah, Nico oh, Rosberg. Yeah, Nico, I guess Hamilton just has yeah, a team, right? Team, I think. Yeah, Nico has a team as well. Hamilton has a team. Yeah, like that. So that's going to also, you know, that's still there's there. Of course, the motors are electric, but there's still fluids in there and and multiple places that are required. Absolutely. The type of coolants to cool in the, you know, the the power generator, you know, things like that, that you need that. I mean, we're already doing that, you know, we're already getting involved with that. But you have to because it's another generation that's coming in of new technology Mm -hmm. that are still going to need fluids, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, especially on the cooling side, right? Yeah, it's you. You, you want Absolutely. something that is not gonna that, that's gonna hold that pressure, not gonna evaporate, mm-hmm. stay cool, blah blah. That has that dissipation. Um, I know a little tiny bit, but I mean, it's I, I, I'm just thinking about liquid cooled computers right now. <laughs> like, but um, but yeah, for sure. Um, I I wanted you know before we wrap up, um, mm-hmm. we kind of sort of uh, skipped over this because you know you have obviously you have a lot of great great things to say and a lot of a lot of stuff that we covered, but. You, you kind of alluded to the fact that you're basically the first marketing person for Motul in the country, right? Um, is that the case? When you were saying what, do you mean? what you were saying that it was you and another guy that w- w- launched Motul. In oh the yeah, US. back in back in the day when I first started, it was Dave Oldman, the, yeah. the president at that time. And uh, when I got hired, we only had three warehouse guys and two girls. And then so when I came in, I came in for the automotive side. Mm-hmm. But the guy that was taking care of Power Sport had just left, so. My boss turns around the second day I go to work, I come in in a, in a green Kawasaki and he goes, oh, shit, you like bikes? I go, yeah, I thought you were a car guy. I go, no, I'm both. And I gave him my whole story. And so the marketing things that we had to do, Dave was taking care of the marketing teams, but I had to do the marketing stuff that I had to do when I was face to face, how the boot looked, how I presented the product, how, you know, the brochures that we needed. That's marketing too in its own way, but you're there face to face, right? How the booth looks attractive, what cars would be around the booth. My boss didn't know that. Yeah. He just like, hey, but I had to use everything I knew from Takiko because Takiko gave me all those tools and bring it to Motu and do that. Because I remember my very first show, I was at the California Speedway. And one of the guys that was a big Motu fan on brake fluid says to me, Oh, when did Motu start making motor oil? When did they start making all this other stuff? And I said, yeah. well, we're actually a motor oil company first. Yeah. He says, yeah. you guys are just known for brake fluid, man. I says, well, guess what? We got other stuff. So I had to explain all that. And a very, you know, like the first month, I was not aware of that. But then again, our president came from Yosh and he was big bike guy. So he says, I'm going to go to the least path of resistance to get Motu into this market. Hmm. I'm going after the power sports. And he did a very good job. But when I got into the automotive, people were just like, yeah, you know, your gear 300, how come you guys don't have more of that stuff? I go, well, we do, but we don't have a lot of distributors yet that Mm. carry the product, you know? So it opened up a whole Pandora box. So I had to use all my marketing tactics. I knew classics. I knew the modern cars of that time, of course, uh, which was not that long ago, 16 and a half years when I started with Motu. And I had to put all that together when I went and did, you know, shows and, you know, at the track. I did a lot of track events and the car shows you know like i said japanese classic you know i used to get uh mr mcguire's came to us he says man this booth looks super nice i go you know and it was an easy up a couple of flags nice tables everybody was uniform right i had to think that if we're a quality product you know and i know we're a quality product and i see all the stuff that we do around the world the 24-hour months i got to carry that to the to, to the last detail and that's how i i got into the motu thing was what are you doing at the japanese classes you guys are more european i go well did you know that one of our biggest markets is in japan mm-hmm. we are like 
Motus everywhere. We're with the Nissan, with Nismo, with TRD, with Subaru. Look at the uh, rally races that yeah. we do, you know? So that yeah. opened that whole that whole era, that whole time that Motu finally just, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. No, that was early that's on. Cool. I mean, that's, that's awesome to see yeah. that. Um, yeah. how much it's picked up. And I think it has a, still a tremendous amount of potential because it, it, you know, it, it was kind of niche for a while, right? Like you had to be really yeah. in the know, at least in this it, country. Um, whereas, as you said, in Japan, it was definitely, it, it's more, um, it's, I don't want to say it's mainstream, but it's more, more well-known. Right. And, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's definitely changing here too. And we're stoked to be a part of that and be a part of the ride yeah. with you guys. And we really appreciate you guys, um, acknowledging what we're doing and, and seeing the value in Absolutely. that and, and, and collaborating with us. And we want to continue doing cool stuff. Same here. Before we, before, I'm sorry, go ahead, buddy. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, before we kind of sign off, mm-hmm. I did, we did have one more question come in. Oh, cool. yes, um, it's pretty specific. It's from our friend Hushy Pushy, Matt Brown on Instagram. He wrote, uh, Motul has seven different variants of zero uh, W20 for my Subaru BRZ. Mm-hmm. Is 8100 Ecolite the correct one? Or can I, should I use 300V high RPM racing oil? He says, I drive my pr- car pretty hard and use Motul fluids in the brakes tranny and diff already mm-hmm. that's a very good question because my when i lived in the our other house my neighbor a young young kid bought the uh bought an frs i remember and he you know parked right in front of my house and we were talking and he already knew what fluids to use he goes hey you know i know you guys make a, a 7590 with a diff and they're telling me that I have to be a GL4, but I know you guys make a GL4, GL5. I said, yeah, we got that product. It'll work. He used it. He told all his other friends that he had a very good following. Then the engine, he says, but the motor oil, I use a 020, you know, and I talked to Mr. Crawford. That's when Crawford Performance was around. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he says, and the car's still so new to him. I go, okay. I said, well, I know Crawford. I know uh, Crawford very well. He says, yeah. I goes, what do you think? I go, well, the car's stock. You're going to leave it like that for a while. Well, I want to put wheel suspension as, as, as I go because it's, Parts not coming to the market. Okay. I advise you if you're going to do more of street driving because you do, you go to school, you go to work, you're in the city. R0W20 works and meets the standards for that car. But if you're going to go to the track, and this is where the catchy part was, he says, Well, people tell me to use a higher viscosity. I go, Well, you may, you may again, you may go to a higher viscosity, but the engine is not designed to use that higher viscosity. You can do some damage to it. I go, well, do you guys have a 020 that's not just your regular standard um, synthetic? Yeah, we have a 0W2300V that you could actually put your car. It's not a long drain interval. Well, what do you suggest I did? Well, you drive a lot, right? So I change it. If I were you, I would change it every 3,000 miles. Could it go further than that? Yeah, but we just do it just for reasons that we, we don't want to take somebody that takes it into, uh, takes it, um, I forgot the word, but it, 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 it takes it to the point where Hey, this is good racing oil. I can go 6,000, 7,000 miles because it was never meant for that, depending on the habits of the driver. So, yes, we have a 0W20 in the 8100 Ecolite, and we have the the 300V 020. Different animal, totally different animal. Competition, uh, performance, even some horsepower. Protection is there, but it's not a long drain interval. Mm. But most of these IFRS guys or these guys with these uh, the, the, the Toyota and the Subaru version, they would change them. I talked to a lot of them. Some would change it at 5,000 miles. Some would change it at 3,000 miles. But when they say, I changed my oil at 3,000 miles anyways. Okay. 
then that's where the yeah. 300 V would work. If he does trap days, if he goes out and modifies it a little. Yeah. So he's a, I will, he goes on all of our rallies, our car. And I would say he drives the hard car really hard and he's probably above 5,000 RPM 95% of the time. Right. Yeah. So uh, I want to give so, you, a, I want to give you a secret. So now <laughs> this guy, there's a product called the 508 509 Volkswagen product. It's called specific uh-huh. just for Volkswagen. 508509, but doesn't mean they can't use it in a car that uses 020. No. When you get an approval, like 508509 from Volkswagen, it's very stringent, very stringent, very strict on how to get that formulation. Even to the point when then you part you you pour that product out, it comes out green. Why green? Well, because there's tracers in there. Why it has to be that way? So they know that you didn't use the wrong oil. That's happening too in this industry. So they market that way, okay? But it's not because the color is green. It's because it's a very, 020 that I call it, it's very robust because of the approval that it has to meet. You see what I'm saying? It's not designed like the Ecolite. The Ecolite is very good, but the 020 that has to meet the criteria of the Volkswagen, Audi, remember Porsche, that 508-509 for that Porsche fan? It's gotta meet that certain certification. So that means that that product work you're going to put that oil in our engines this is what it has to meet okay so it's designed around those specifications so this oil is very robust for a 020 and i know guys that i've told them goes man i love that 020 that's specific and but but it says for volkswagen yeah but you can use it on your frs you can use it no issue oh i see i'm looking at it right now it's it's called specific (laughs) that's that's literally interesting okay so so that's that's uh that's a good one. Yeah, it is. It is. So even our guy in, um, even one of our guys at, at Motu says, yeah, I, I use a 020. What do you guys think? And then we told him, about, you know, you, because you can use this one. This is pretty cool because the guy's too, yeah. he drives a car very hard. So this is a good middle ground yeah. basically between the 300 V you'd say and the 3100. Is that, uh, or is it on par you'd say with the 300 V like in terms of, uh, for something like this, like the driving that he does. Like, the, yeah, I mean, if he's going to do more of a, uh, I call it recreational driving, right? If the guy goes into the canyons a little bit, he's hard. He modified it just a little bit. Or he likes to really shoot that, uh, that, that, that um, accelerator hard, you know, because that's the way he drives a car. Yeah. Then I would try that 508, 509 first because the 300 V where you're going to really see it shine. You probably even hear your engine quiets down a little more, but you're going to really sh- see it shine in the track. You know, especially when it comes to um, oil pressure, when it comes to when you put it under those loads, how well it protects that engine. Mm. That's where you're going to see the 300V shine because it can take heat very well for a 020. Mm. But remember, the 020 is a competition product. It is. Mm. So, again, that's where you'll see it. But if he doesn't do too much of that, but drives it hard on the street, I mean, you can only do so much on the street, right? Only if you go out in some big parking lot and you're just doing autocrossing all day, you know, but you still have to drive the car home. Then that 508, 509, you'd be surprised how well that product works. That's cool. That's Not to take anything away from the Ecolite because sometimes pricing comes to play too, right? Yeah. I mean, it got to be fair. Or an approval, you know, the specific only has 508, 509. It doesn't mean that it can't work on that car. Nice. It's just a different formulation because it has a very higher level of criteria that it has to meet for Volkswagen, Porsche, and Audi. 
That makes sense. Cool. Um, I did want to uh, throw this in here at the end. We're we're working on the specifics, and uh, it, it is something that we'll be pushing on our social media feeds soon. But we're about mm-hmm. to start a, a a campaign on the Radwood side of things, uh, and it's going to be hashtag show me your dipstick <laughs> and so we're gonna have <laughs> people <laughs> post pictures of, of them showing us their oil like pulling out their dipstick what's on there uh and then also um you know a picture of their car it does have to be a radwood era car unfortunately for for matt there because he has an frs or the brz i was gonna say otherwise yeah. he can jump in and, and participate in the um in the uh campaign and see if he wins because um you know that's an opportunity to get some product but um but i'll well We'll be doing that here in the next week or so. I'm super excited on oh, that cool. and to see what kind of content comes out of that. Because as always, you know, especially, you know, with the Radwood side of things, it's all about be- being fun and, and being creative. So we don't want like, you know, a static, boring shot of your car in your driveway. Like ideally people get creative with, with what they do. And, and then that's going to get yeah. you a better ch- a chance of winning. So um, there's some really cool prizes that I was talking to Nolan about. We'll see if, uh, what we can come uh, come through with, but they're they're um, you know some high dollar stuff, so pretty stoked to, to have Motul support. Oh, no, that's it. And just remember, guys, just you know, I know we you guys have to go, we have to go, but the, just to let you know that in the in the lubricant business, I mean, you've got so many myths, so many people. This is why it's better. Uh, when I talk to anybody at Redwood, I'm just taking your show for instance. I focus just on our product. And uh, if they have an issue with another product, what I always say, you know, if I know the issue, because hey, if it's coming around and somebody told me, hey, you found I put this product, but this is what's happening, and I hear it again, then I know there's an issue uh, with, their, with the, comp- the competitor's product. But what I always say to everybody, I said, hey, you know what? We're all in the same boat. They all, we're all trying to compete for the same customer. You know, so I want to try to be as honest, hundred uh, percent, with the customer and give them the best information that I know. And then what I say to him, but you know what? Call the other company, talk to them. And you know, most of the time I hear people there at Bradwood say, you know, Joey. Sometimes they don't even call me back. Sometimes I can't even get a hold of somebody. Sometimes we can't, you know, go. And that could be true. Um, they may take it more lighter than we do. Our customer service, I have to answer all those emails. I have another technical guy that's going to be joining us from Brazil. Very smart guy, De Maria. And we're there all the time. You know, so what I'm trying to say with all this, yeah, that's how Motu does things. We, if, if some guy's a big Redline fan, good for you, man. Redline is a good product. I'm not going to knock it. Uh, well, what do, where, where's your benefits come? Okay, I give them my benefits of this and this and how it does it and how well it works and where it's been proven. And I give them some kind of facts that I, I will have there at the show. And then I said, have you ever talked to a guy from Redline? I said, no, not really. I go, give him a call, you know, talk to him and see how his product, you know, you know, if, if he could explain it to you and he can give you the time. Yeah, that's cool. That's probably who you want to buy the product from. Right. Yeah. But if nobody's going to give you the time or want to talk to you about it, or just say, you know, you have a pamphlet, you know, you can go into our website and read it. You know, I know everybody has a lot of things to do and sometimes it's hard, but I always try to make time. Believe me, I always try to make the time to censor, answer that technical email or do things like you guys are doing. Because at the end of the day, we, we, we're, we're, we're very transparent when it comes to products. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear, man. Is there a, a specific, like an email, like a support at Motul or something that people can reach out with technical questions or any? Yeah, sort customer of- service. So is it just on yeah. the website they can find? Um, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, yeah. well, thanks so much again, uh, Joey. We're, we're stoked to have you. And um, it looks like we'll be seeing you in November next month at uh, Radwood yes. SoCal. 
Did you What's it going to be? We're, we just announced it yesterday, officially. We're going to be at the Honda campus, at the American Honda campus down there in Torrance. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've been there. The one in Torrance. Yeah, one in Torrance. Yeah, I've been yep. talking to Nolan about it. So wow. we have, you guys are going to have a pretty solid activation there. And, I mean, we're talking about some race cars and stuff. So, um, yeah, it should be good. Uh, we're we're, cool we're excited place. to really finally cool announce place. that. Um, there's some other stuff that we have up our sleeve that I'm dying to announce, but we can't just yet. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no problem. But we got some cool stuff going on there for for this uh, uh, November 20th event in SoCal. Mm-hmm. Cool. No, no, man. Cool. That's awesome. All right. I, I want to thank you guys too for giving us the time to explain stuff, and like I hope I answered some of the questions. But again, if we do this again, we'll be glad to come on board again and talk about. It. Awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Jay. Cool. You got it, man. All right, thanks a lot. Anytime. We'll right. be in touch. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye.